0: Um, I'm not from Kentucky. I live in Kentucky. Uh, Josh um, explained a lot, so I'm going to not bore you with those details uh, about where, where we've been uh, over the past couple years. Uh, but I will tell you this, that, that I, today, as I, as I got to um, come out here this afternoon and, and drove by myself, left uh, Rebecca and uh, the boys at the house, and they got to ride with mom and dad out. I took a little bit of time and, and drove around campus, and, and, and I, I was just, I was really taken back. And I said this the last time I was in town to, to my dad, LSU's done a lot of stuff to improve things. I mean, most of y'all don't know it, but like, Old school folks who were back here a long time ago, uh, before the BCM was all like this, and you could like, like it was just dirty. There's, there's a lot of improvements around here, and like driving around campus, it was just really, really neat to see like the Union Theater, like completely different, you know. And that whole area, that's Free Speech Alley, that again, just dirty, is now like really nice, you know. Uh, It's still hot, so it's not like you want to hang out there more, but it's just it's nice, right? and it, like, just driving around campus, it was, it, it was really, really, really unique to me uh, to see things that have changed, to also see some of the things that have stayed the same. That Highland Coffees is still Highland Coffees and it's just awesome, right? Uh, and, and the Chimes is, is still the Chimes and it's dirty, but awesome, you know? Uh, and it's just neat, it's really neat to, to walk in the original Canes and say, I've been to the original Canes when you walk into the one in Lexington, Kentucky, and they're like, this is the only one that exists in the world. I'm like, no, no, it's not, you idiot. It started at LSU, and they shouldn't have this Kentucky crap all over the world. So, um, so it, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's changed, and the thing that, that excites me about change is, is the vision that had to happen. You know, that somebody along the way decided or had some, had some thought and they, and they begin to work on that thought. They had a vision for something being there that wasn't there or something being better than it was right then. Like a vision for it. Does it make sense? Like they saw something there that wasn't there. This room, for instance, Steve and the, and the crew that was a part of this saw something here that wasn't here yet. And obviously, as most things that improve or change or build, there's, there's things that happen that are hard, there's oppositions to those things, but there's a vision that carries that through. And that kind of vision intrigues me. It makes me excited. When you see development happen over a long period of time and know that the work that goes into it, it's, it's, in, it's intriguing and exciting. Where we're gonna to land tonight in the scriptures is from uh, Ephesians chapter one. It's the second half of the chapter uh, where Paul begins to pray for the Ephesians. He, he starts his prayer off in, in here. And what he's praying is that the people in Ephesus would have a vision. Let's, let's open the scripture there. And, and, and I think we've got it where we can put it on the screen back here. Uh, I would encourage you just to take out your, your Bible and read it. Um, but if you will do me a favor, and stand with me as we read this. This is Paul. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and, ha- and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge in the knowledge of him having your eyes having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he called you what is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only for this age, but also for the one that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray again. God, you are as we sang in songs, just beyond our words to describe. I thank you for music and, and songwriters who, who put things together, because Lord, I could never express those things in, in, on my own. So I, I thank you for the way that we got to sing that and, and say those things to you, because you are great. You are a consuming fire and bigger than we can understand. And Father, I thank you that, that not only are you that majestic and holy and righteous and beautiful, but Father, you are also intimate. And, and just as Paul prayed in, in this passage, you open our eyes to see you and to understand you and to know you. You open our, the eyes of our hearts so that we cannot look at the things that surround us, but we can instead look at you and know you and know the way that it's supposed to be and the way that it will be when you return. So we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the peace that you have brought for us with you because of Christ and the cross. We pray that God, you would, you would do a great thing tonight. That you would open our eyes, that we would be encouraged by your word, and that you would draw those who don't know you in this place to you. And that God, you would, that new life would happen in this room. God, we exalt your name. Is in in the name of Christ, the powerful, the strong name of Christ that we pray, Amen. So the Ephesians, I'm gonna sit down. Good job. No joke. A couple weeks, a couple months ago, right after you guys, maybe some of you, this is this is an aside, complete aside. The after you guys ordained me, thank you uh, for being a part of that. Um, after you guys ordained me, I went to Kentucky. Uh, where I live now, and one of the staffers that that used to work for me at the, the camp that Josh mentioned uh, got married, and so I performed the wedding and so we did the first part where she walks down the aisle, you know what i 'm saying like she comes down and he 's here and who gives this blah 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 and we come up here and they 're still standing and i 'm doing a little something or other and and I see them kind of look out into the audience and there 's like one person here, one person there, one person there sitting down it 's been like five minutes right and and, and I look at said, are they still standing up yeah I like oh and that was not funny. Um, moving on. So the, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and, and what we know from, from the passage right as it starts is that this is a group of believers, right? The, the Ephesians that he's writing to are people who have already trusted in Christ. They know Christ as their Lord and Savior. At some point in their, in, in their past, w- whenever it was, they, they understood that Christ was, was, their, was their need. Actually, let's, let's take a step back. In, in Acts, it tells us, Um, A little bit of detail on on this group of people that we're talking about in Acts chapter 19 uh, is is Paul is on his missionary journey and and he stops in Ephesus right and he comes into the city and he meets what he says in in the first part of the chapter he meets some disciples there and he talks to them and he finds out the disciples there these people that that are saying that they're a part of the way or the, the believers that that they're that they were baptized into the baptism of John right so you know who John is, everybody, right? We got this John the Baptist cat who goes around saying, but you know, be baptized in, in repentance, repent because you're sinful, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and they were baptized into that. But, but we know that John was pointing to Christ. And, and the, the Ephesians had never heard of Christ. And so Paul does what he does and he shares the gospel and the people of Ephesus respond to the gospel and they trust Christ for salvation, they're baptized and they do all this stuff. And so Paul sticks around for three months, he hangs out in the city there and he begins preaching the gospel, right? And people's lives are being changed. So much so that some people that are in the temple and in, in the synagogue there, that some op- there were some oppositions from, from the Jews, the people who didn't like this Christianity movement that was, was not okay with this whole Jesus thing, they, they begin to come against Paul. And so Paul's like, all right, well, that's cool. They back- he backs out and he goes to another place. He stays there for two more years. Two more years in this, in this temple. And he's just, he's just the, the, the word he says is persuading, but he's reasoning with people. He's telling them the gospel, sharing with them the hope of salvation, right? And there's a lot of things that happen in the city in that time. There's not only this disturbance where the where the believers, they get out and they're like, no, or the, 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 the Christians or the, excuse me, I'm using the wrong word, the, the Jewish, the followers that, that didn't trust in Christ, they, they kicked him out. But then even some guys who aren't even, like they don't even like they're not even saying that they believe in god at all they begin to be like all right well this this whole like jesus thing is pretty curious i mean it's it's pretty cool so they go and they try to use jesus name to cast out a demon and this no joke this is sons of sons of steva i think is the name I, I don't say that name right seven guys they go in to try to cast out this demon this is not a joke this demon's like um i've heard of jesus i know jesus and i've heard of this paul guy but who are you and this demon jumps out and de- demolishes, I mean straight demolishes these seven guys and they run out of the place naked. That's being beat up, right? They, they, I mean like just worn out. But they, these people begin to think this is curious. This is something, there's something about this Jesus thing. And they get demolished for it because they don't actually trust in Jesus. They're just throwing his name around. Again, I thought that was funny. The, um, but then moving on, they, they continue to walk, the, the, the people of, of, of Ephesus continue to grow in Christ. And before Paul leaves, as, as right before he decides to move on and go to Macedonia to continue his, his journey, there's a disturbance in the city where the people of the city, the people of the city there begin to come against the Christians and want to, and want to, to put Paul and his followers and, and the people, his disciples, to death because of the way that it is affecting the economy in the city. The, the followers of Christ had latched on so much so that it was changing the way the city operated. These men carved wooden idols, and the, and the city had changed so much that their wallets were running dry because people weren't buying these idols. And so people's lives were changed, and we can see from, from, the, from the account in Acts that they were growing in Christ. And so it's to this group of people that Paul writes the letter of Ephesus, and the letter of Ephesus is, is different because it's not a letter that addresses a single or a couple of different issues. It's simply a letter of encouragement. It's deep in theology in the first four chapters, and then it switches a little bit and becomes more practical, kind of working out some of the things. But But it's not a letter that just specifically says, these things are happening and you need to fix them. He's just writing an encouragement, which is almost to me just one of those, like this is pretty interesting. It's one of those where where you think he sat down, not because he wanted to chastise and say, you're screwing this up, but because he wanted to encourage them to continue. And so that's what, that's, when he begins to pray, what we read is, is from, that, from that heart, Paul's, Paul's heart to encourage and, and, to, and, to, and to send them to continue to walk, continue to grow, to remind them. And it does a great job of reminding. Let, let, let's read it again, just, just this first part. It says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. Listen, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having your eye, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know, we're stop there. He talks he says that he would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And we're talking more than just just an understanding of what's going on. We're talking more than than then they, then they read it and they get it, right? That they can, they can have a conversation with you, that they can look like they're believers, that they can, they can be moral. He's, he's asking God sincerely, God, open their eyes so that they can know it, so that it affects them. That's what wisdom is. It's more than just being really smart. It's being really smart in a way that affects the way you live. And it doesn't even really mean being really smart, right? It just means that that understanding this in such a way that it changes the way you operate. And so he's asking for that kind of depth of knowledge. He's asking for for a, a lot deeper than that Sunday school. I, I know the felt board stories, and I, and and, but as soon as somebody challenges that, I, I walk away. He's talking about strong understanding of what the gospel is in three different areas that god would open their eyes he continues that god would open their eyes and that they would be able to see what it is that he's calling them to that they, he would be able to see that we would be able to that they would be able to see what it is that they have in the inheritance and the power so he continues he says that they would understand that they would they would know what is the hope that you have called them to what is the hope that you have called him to and this is this is where it begins to kind of we can break down what these three things that are specific that he begins to pray what is the hope that he's called you to? and for the ephesians what he's what he's asking god to do in this hope they would understand this hope is is reminding them that without God they have nothing. I mean the hope that we have in Christ, the hope that that they have in in this relationship with Christ that that he asked God to open their eyes to is is a hope and an understanding that without him we have nothing. A hope that, that you look at and you think about you think about the what it says in Romans and how it's, how. flip back just a little bit here where in Romans 8 where it says for God has done what the law was weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man. So what we could not do what the Ephesians could not do in and of themselves he's asking God to remind them of the hope that they have. The hope that is, that, that is Christ bringing peace and healing into brokenness. I mean, if, if you're like the Ephesians, and I'm sure, I mean, if the Ephesians are like us, and I'm, I'm assuming that they are, circumstances begin to, to weigh us down. Things happen, life, life continues to happen after you trust Christ for salvation, and, and, and sometimes what happens is our what, what's going on around us blocks the vision of what God is doing in us and through us. And so for the Ephesians, what he asks and for, what, for us, what, he's, what we get to, to join into is this hope that is peace and healing into brokenness and chaos. Into the turmoil and, and, and of your thoughts and and the, and the 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 destruction and the chaos that you see around you, he's saying, God, open their eyes to the hope, to the peace, and to the healing that is available in Christ. And it's the same for us. The same for you and I. That we can we can be reminded that that, that we have hope healing and peace in the middle of our chaos and pain. You see, because the hope that we have is not in a program or in something that we add to. It's in Christ. And Christ is unchanging. What happens for all of us, not only do the circumstances arise and, and, and we, we build up these things and and the vision is blocked. But we begin to replace what we know that the gospel says that it does with things that are not Christ, things that are not the gospel. Does that make sense? That, that we, we, we plug in memorizing scripture, we plug in our education, we plug in our, our, our what we can attain, we plug in our jobs, we plug in our family, we plug in our whatever, Whatever it is, we plug that in and say, this is my hope, that if this is right and this is good, then this can be my hope. But that stuff doesn't fill up. There's still chaos and brokenness and it can only be fixed in the person of Christ. It can't be fixed in our education. It can't be fixed in a job. If you've ever thought that those things were gonna fix it, then I'm sure that you're in the middle of realizing that it's not. Or if you haven't, let me tell you, there's going to be a day that it will you'll realize that those things don't work. That the hope that we have is not in what we can gain or what we can do. The hope that we have is only and always in Christ. It was the same thing for the Ephesians. What he was praying for them, is that their eyes would be opened and that they would have a vision for the hope that they have it's in Christ. He moves on and he talks about to... Let me back up. But the reality of this hope is that we actually have it now. The reality of the hope is that it's not something that it, it could happen one day that we cross our fingers like in middle school and pray that everything works out and that girl says yes and we have a girlfriend for 24 hours or so. It, it's not that kind of hope. It's the hope. It's hope in understanding that this is happening. This is real for us now, it's like, compare it to this kind of hope. A couple years ago, 2007, we moved to Kentucky and I went to two LSU football games that year, okay? One in Kentucky and one in Baton Rouge and we lost both of those games, right? Didn't think they were gonna let me come back. But at the end of the second game I went to that we lost, the Arkansas game here on this campus, I was leaving the, leaving the deal and, and all hope of LSU being a national championship team that year was gone. I mean, nobody except for one person in the group that I was walking with thought that there was any chance. But this person, some of you know him, was just dead set on the fact that it could actually happen. And he worked through all of the details. This team loses to this team, and this happens, and that happens, and the power ratings drive or whatever, not power, whatever it is, these happen, and strength of schedule, blah, blah, blah. And we were like, dude, shut up. It's over. Shut up. There's no good coming out of this. We're going to a, a, a sad little bowl somewhere, and it's going to be sad. But then, over the next couple of days, things begin to happen. And what, what this guy was saying back here was kind of this hopeful thought that maybe if all of these details work out this will happen for us and they did and it did happen for us and whatever your opinion on it is we were national championship we were national championship team that year it was beautiful right don't even talk about it. we went from eight to one in, in two days because everything happened whatever national champions now that's hope that's crossing your fingers and just thinking that something's going to happen, we're not talking about that kind of hope. We're talking about a hope that is sure, that is confirmed, that is done. We know that this happens, that God has done all that needs to be done for this to be reality in our lives. So he prays, God, open their eyes to the hope that they have, to the peace and and the peace in their chaos and the healing to their pain right now that is a reality and then he moves on and he talks about their inheritance we're talking about inheritance we're, we're talking about we're talking about a word that really doesn't come up a whole lot for us anymore i mean we know that inheritance is that that thing that happens when somebody dies and what you get or what you don't get whatever but we're, in this in inheritance here we're talking about what you have because you are something because you are a child of God, the kingdom of God is yours. It's all yours. When I was a kid, my grandparents lived in, in, or they still live in Mississippi, we would go and visit them periodically, and they had this book, right? This book that had all of these toys and, like, just cool stuff that everybody wanted. Like, I know that's a blanket statement, You're know, like, I didn't want it, but there was something in this book that you wanted, I promise promise, if you would have looked at it, you'd be like, that's cool, I want that. So, I mean, this is called the blue book, and literally, I, tore, I wore these pages out every time we visited, and if they had a new one, it was like Christmas in July, because I would just, I want that, I want that, I want that, it was just awesome, right? But I never got anything out of that book, ever. I mean, I can remember remote control plane. I really want that. When you're 13, you can have that. I'm way past 13, still don't have that. So I never got anything out of this book, right? But I looked at it, it was like, oh, all of this stuff is so cool. When we talk about inheritance today, what we talk about and what he was praying, what Paul is praying for the Ephesians is that they would understand the richness of their inheritance as children today. That the kingdom of God is yours. When we open the scriptures, what we know is that all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. So you flip through this and you read it and this, this becomes what you, what you feed off of. And when you say, I want that, I want that to be the way that I live. I want that to be the reality of my life. This is yours. It's not a, it's not a remote control airplane that you never get. This is reality. This is your inheritance, our inheritance in Christ. The kingdom of God is yours. There's nothing that he's holding back from you to, to, to grow and to, to, under, to, to be a believer and to be strong and growing in Christ. What Josh prayed early is that, that he's given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. As we struggle, as we, as, as when you go back to the hope and you look at, at, at the things that you, you thought were going to be whenever, whenever you were younger, you thought that these things would be different now and they're still the same way. Or you thought five months ago that this would have changed by now. And so you're beginning to lose hope. What, what he backs this, the, the, the message of hope up with is that the inheritance is that it's yours. It's yours that in Christ, this is yours. This is your reality as a child of God. But then he moves on. Begins to to open up up this idea of the power for those of us who believe. The power that is is in Christ Jesus. And and, and the the way he talks about this is that that for us there are two things, two things that that we just are not going to defeat. That on our own, there's two two things that have always plagued us. Since since the garden, two things have always plagued us. There's not one person in this room that got very far in their in their life before sin creeped in, before morally you committed a sin did something were disobedient to your your parents whatever wasn't very long before sin beat you so that's number 1 we've lost that fight second thing is no one in this room will ever defeat death so these two things that have that have beat us since the garden sin which is a part of all of our lives and death which will eventually be the story of all of us are always going to be, that will always plague us. They've always beat us. Only one person has not had that experience, and that's Christ. And and what Scripture says when he talks about the power for us who believe, he's talking about the power that Christ had by God's power to defeat sin, to be blameless, and then to be raised from the dead on the third day. That though you and I won't understand that completely, that the power of God for us is that Christ did defeat sin and death. And He has given us the strength to do the same. That sin no longer has its mastery over us. Now that, again, that doesn't mean that for the rest of your life you're going to be sinless. But it does mean that sin doesn't rule over you. It's not your, you're not enslaved to it anymore. And death for eternity is not your story for those who are in Christ anymore. That victory over sin is ours. Victory over, that death no longer has a sting that is eternal. We do die and our friends you better mourn when I, when I die. But that's not the end of the story. Because of Christ, death has been defeated. And eternity with him is what we have. So he compiles these three things, these three And as you look at them, what, what begins to, to open up is, is that they, they follow each other. That, that hope is what we, we all, at some level, hope for something to be better than it is. We can see that it's not the way that it's supposed to be and that we want this, whatever it is, to change. So often we get blinded. And we forget that what we have in Christ is completeness, that, that, that He has done all that we need and that we have all that is, that is, that is needed for the life that he's called us to. And then that is backed up by the power, the power that not only gave Christ the, vic- the victory over sin, that, that, that he was blameless, but victory over death. That power is ours in Christ. Does that make sense? The, the, that the truth for us The truth for us is that we can have a vision, we can have a vision of the way the gospel changes our lives that is not defeated by the things that creep in, the circumstances or, or, the, or, or the pain or the chaos. We can have a vision of, our, of, of what our lives look like because of the gospel because hope is sure, because our inheritance is real, and because the power of God is immeasurable. But Paul doesn't stop at that place. Paul continues and he talks about, as he ends up this chapter, he he talks about who is in charge ultimately. And that, that points again to Christ's supremacy over all things when he says that that he has worked in Christ when he, excuse me, back up a little bit. So what is the immeasurable power of his, immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, far above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That there is, that Christ is supreme over all things. And that where you are, regardless of what you see, Regardless of what your circumstances or the pain or the chaos, that Christ is still on the throne overall. That he is Lord of Lords. He is King of kings. He is, He is all that He says He is throughout Scripture. He has not changed. And so our hope and our, and, and our inheritance and our power is again backed up and, and strengthened by the fact that our God is in control and unchanging. That our, that, that our vision, our hope, our inheritance and this power is sure in Christ. There's no fear, there's no think, there's no wondering how this is all going to work out. My, my freshman year in college, the, um, I got to go see Titanic seven or eight times, which was exciting. There was a funny thing that happened in every theater that I went to, every theater that I went to. Every time the boat started sinking, or every time it hit that iceberg, there was like a <gasps> in the people that were watching. It was like, really? I'm confused. And then as, as it began to break in half or whatever it did, it was like they were still holding out hope. This was not going to be the end of the story. Guys, this is a historical event. They're not changing this. Now you can be, you can hope that the guy doesn't die and I'll never let go all that, but, but there, this is going to happen, right? And when we're talking about, we're talking about Christ and, the, and, this, and this, the reality for us, this hope that we have and this inheritance and the power that we have, what we know is that it, it, there's not this cosmic battle. There's not this cosmic battle that, that good is fighting evil and we're waiting to see whether or not good is going to overcome or evil. That's not the story. It is a historical, I mean, Scripture records it, it's done, been defeated. Evil has been defeated, death, sin, defeated. And so we walk with a vision that's not wondering whether or not this is going to end well. We walk in the reality, and the hope, in the, in the, in the, in the inheritance, and in the strength. This ends well, and that our king is king over all things today and forever. That we have strength and power in that knowledge. And that's the knowledge that we pray would change the way we live. That it affects the way that we live. It's rich. It's a beautiful vision. It's a lot better than seeing the things that are broken and not being able to overcome. Them. It's a lot better than seeing things and thinking it's hopeless. Because we know God, had to, Jesus Christ has the power to change all those things. But our hope is that this is not the end of the story, that it will be completed, and it ends that victory is actually seen over the sin and the death that we experience on a daily basis. 1 Corinthians says this, it says, we look on things that are not, we do not look on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. telling a lot of stories of the good old days, I guess. My sophomore, junior year in college, I got to go with the BCM to, to Colorado and go skiing. And there's a lot of funny stories along with that. I told Ringo that I was going to tell a story about him, but I'm not. The, the, the It was it was a it was a fun trip. First time I'd ever skied, or actually I didn't, snowboarded, and I've never done it since then, but I was a pro on the slopes. So let's just let's go there with me. About day two, I will tell this part of the story. About day two, uh, Ringo coming off, I don't really know what happened. I just know that he had a concussion and doesn't remember a whole lot that happened after that. But, but day three, finally day three, you've, you've, you've begun to catch on to this whole skiing thing, right? There's a lot of falling involved in the first two days, concussion. Day three, we begin to catch on to this, right? And somewhere in, in the mix of day two to day three, somebody says, when you're snowboarding, you want to look where you're wanting to go. Don't look at the trees because that's where you're going to go. If somebody's fallen, don't look at the person that's fallen because you're going to run into them because where you're looking is where you're going. Good advice. We I'd have known that to begin with. So day three, we're catching it, right? I mean, things are sore in this area, but I'm going. And, and it's a lot better. And, and And as I'm going down the hill, there's a guy over here that's fallen and, and I realize that there's a good chance that I could run over him and continue to, to cause misery and pain for a long time mentally and physically to his life. So I'm like, look where you want to go. Like I'm saying this out loud to myself. Look where you want to go. So I changed to this hole, this big wide open hole where there's nobody. And and oddly enough, it worked. I moved did not hit this guy. He has no idea how much he needs to thank me. It continues. There's the, there's the end and it's curving gonna go around the hill and that drops off a pretty good bit. And I'm thinking, I don't want to look there because that's where I'll go. So I'll look over here and oddly enough, things happen and it worked where I, I, I moved around the curve and I didn't fall off the end of the hill or the mountain. It was beautiful. Things completely changed for me that day. I still fell a lot, but that wasn't a result of me looking where I didn't need to look. It was a result of not having a lot of skill. The, but as as the day continued, I continued to remind myself over and over and over again, look where you wanna go. I don't know, that sounds really elementary, but here's what it says, that we don't look at the things that are seen because they're transient. They're gonna pass, they're gonna go away. Instead, we look at the things that are unseen. We look at the hope that we have, the inheritance that we have, we look at the power that we have in Christ, and that's where we're headed. Because I promise, if we look at the things that are seen, that's where we're going. We're going to continue to let that captivate our minds, continue to let that be the controlling thing that happens. Sometimes it's good stuff. Sometimes it's, It's a relationship that's great and fun, but those things are not ultimate. Sometimes there's chaos, but those things are not ultimate. We look at what is unseen, because in that, we have hope. There is power and inheritance. There is the life that he's called us to. changes the way we live. The, what happens, what the response for us is, is is kind of twofold. The first thing is that we ask the Lord to open our eyes not only to the hope and the inheritance and the power. Secondly, we ask the Lord to open our eyes to the things that we are looking at. The places that we've put more hope in. The places that we've looked to for an inheritance for what we need and for strength. And as he opens our eyes and is faithful to do that, we repent. We respond in repentance and say, God, forgive me for trusting. I repent for trusting in Whatever it is, more than I trust in you for salvation. More than I trust in you for life. But secondly, the thing that it does for us, as as we're reminded, as we're reminded consistently over and over and over again that the gospel is the only thing, that Christ, that this hope only comes from the gospel. We're reminded that this was not a part of what we did, but what Christ did. As Paul continues, he talks about that you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But in your, while you were still a sinner, while I was still a sinner, Christ loved us and died for us. And the, and the salvation that we have is by faith, by grace through faith. So that, that becomes, that, we're reminded of that and over and over and over again. That compels us to proclaim it. It compels us when we're having conversations with the people that we work with or the people that we're in class with in our neighborhoods, and our cities. It, it reminds us that people who don't know Christ don't have hope. And their inheritance is not sure and it's failing. They have no power to overcome the place where they're at. It compels us to proclaim Inheritance and its power. To let go of things so that others can know the gospel. The band's gonna come back up, y'all. Y'all can go ahead and move it. And the song that we're gonna sing it is it's called "Yearn." Is that the right name for it? Yeah. Where's Cody at? Is that the right name? The song is "Yearn," and it's a really, it's a really, really fitting song for our response time, because here's what it. Here, the, the, the words of the song say, I want to yearn for you. I want to burn with passion. He uses a really, really cool word. He says, I want, which for me allows me to think that maybe right then when he wrote it or whoever is the author, or songwriter, Maybe that wasn't reality for him, but what he wanted was that to be reality. And if I'm guessing, there's other people that are in the same boat as me and the songwriter tonight when we sing that song. We want this. It's not reality today, but we want it. We want a vision of the gospel that, that gives hope, that gives Inheritance and all that we need and power for the victory over sin that, that defeats us, that we want this vision, that we want to see it this way. We want to lose sight of the things that are moving away, and we want to love Christ more. So I pray that you and I would spend some time in repentance, Pray that we would legitimately ask God, where have I put hope in other than you? What am I trusting in to be my resource other than you? And that we would repent and know that the God of the universe hears our cry and has forgiven us. We would turn from that and trust in him again. Jesus, I pray that you would do, you would do work. I'm uh, I'm banking on it. I'm banking on you moving in hearts and opening eyes. I'm banking on that. I'm banking on salvation happening here tonight. I'm banking on renewal happening here tonight. Not because of words that were said from the stage, but because you are doing a great work. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would um, do what, what your word says it does and open our eyes to all the things that your word says and teach us. Father, that we would respond tonight in repentance. That we would also respond by proclaiming. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.